Hey everyone, welcome back to the last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and joining me today, making his debut on the podcast, I believe, it, it, he covers the Ottawa Senators for the Hockey Writers. It is Jacob Billington. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, things are going really well. Um, nice to have the All-Star break, have a little bit of a break from hockey and kind of reset, but looking forward to getting back to watching the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and it's uh, as you kind of mentioned, there, there's a nice reset for Sens fans here after you know what's been just a crazy kind of couple few months with how many games they've had to play. They they now have a full ten days off, which is the longest time they'll have all year by uh, by a long yeah. shot. So um, definitely a chance to reset. But uh, yeah, you got to be feeling pretty good, I think, if you're a member of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, comparatively, I, I guess I'll say heading into this break where. For obvious reasons, it's been a lot more negative than positive this year. And I mean, when you look at where they are in the standings, there's not really a good way to dress that up. But over the last couple of games, you know, like I was telling you just before recorded, I I had recorded two weeks ago when they were coming off of a 6-2 win against the Montreal Canadiens. Since that time, they lost to the Jets in overtime. They beat the Flyers in regulation, beat the Canadiens, lost to the Bruins in overtime, got smoked by the Rangers beat the Predators in overtime, and beat the Red Wings in overtime. So they went uh, 4-1-2 over that stretch, which is, I have to imagine, one of the best seven-game stretches they've had all season. And other than the New York Rangers game, which I'm sure we will get into, that was just an absolute stinker top to bottom. The thing I think I've been most encouraged by is just how much better, even in the losses, this team has looked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the just the last ten games, the the split between under Jacques Martin, and they're six two and two. The only two games that they lost in regulation were absolute blowouts by the goaltending. And so we're seeing now that as soon as there's any sense of goaltending, you're you, you this team has a chance to win. The only two regulation losses they have in the last ten are, um, they're both seven. The the opponent scored seven goals, so any sense of goaltending this team's in it and under Jacques Martin it took a little bit started out three and eight underneath him I believe but um ever since they started to really buy into a system get tighter in the neutral zone their defensive game has been significantly better making the goaltending job easier now they just need the goaltenders to do the job (laughs) yeah yeah and that's honestly I think you know still the biggest talking point rightfully so with this team is you know, how do you fix this goaltending? How much of it is the obviously how much is the goaltending? How much is the defense was a big, big discussion. But as you said, like, I think if you watched any game from earlier this year versus anything in the past six, seven games, especially, it's just kind of night and day how much better this team's playing defensively. And yeah. even the, the statistics I was looking at earlier today, and, and it's not like they're dominating possession or anything, but they're they're back up into, you know, top 15 kind of range for both the uh, Corsi 4 and expected goals, which kind of yeah. feels like where this team should be, right? They're not a, yeah. they're not a team that's going to dominate play, but they shouldn't be getting dominated like they were for large stretches of the beginning of the year. So yeah, now it's, it really comes down to goaltending. And I still think we see maybe like that Rangers game was a perfect example. There were still three or four goals where it's like, oh my gosh, what is this team doing in front of their own net? But no. it, you also just need to save at some point. You know, it just right. comes down to you can't keep playing the season at 885 goaltending or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, if you look at who's number one in the NHL tonight, probably Vancouver still. 
Um, like you watch a Vancouver game, they have defensive collapses, right? Every single team does. Even the best team in the league, Boston, last year set a fran or set an NHL record for the best team in regular season history. You can't tell me that they didn't have at least one or two defensive collapses a game, but got bailed out by the goalie, right? It happens with every team. It's hockey. Nobody can play a perfect defensive game. Even if you win the game 10 nothing, there's going to be times that your goalie had to bail you out, right? Like, you can't have perfect defending, and this team has taken gigantic leaps towards better defending, um, better team defense. It's not just the the six guys on the blue line. Um, one thing I've really admired is Josh Norris has been playing a great two-way game. His offense has not been there at all. His his defensive game has been very good over the past 10, 12 games, but the offense needs to be there, but the defense, he's the one kind of leading the way in that top six in the defensive coverage. Um, the defense still has some things to work on, but team defense in general has just been so much better under Jacques Martin. Yeah, I think the attention to detail is what I'm kind of noticing as well. And, and some of that comes with, I think, the roster usage too, where... It obviously was not all Travis Hamannick's fault. No one is suggesting that or anything, but yeah. this team just looks so much different when he's not playing upwards of 18 minutes a night or whatever, right? And yeah. it, it just, you know, we don't have to harp on the contract. It was, I can't believe it didn't take more criticism when it signed, but it's just very obvious that when you're getting guys who, even if they're not stalwarts defensively in their own end, they're just more responsible. You're losing guys less often and, I still want to see that improve. Like I think even last night against the Red Wings, uh, the the tying goal for the Red Wings, Jacob Chickern, who I've loved his game this year. He's been unreal. But they just kind of let a guy stand right in front of the net for about four seconds. It's like, okay, you kind of want maybe a save on that, but also you have a defender standing right beside a guy who's screening the goalie. So it's like there are definitely still steps to take to become, you know, that, that better overall team, I would say. But yeah, like yeah. – just looking at how this team is approaching the defensive end, and even if it means sacrificing some goals the other way, playing that two-way game and where they're being better defensively, to me, at this point in the year, which you know is what it is, where they are in the standings, is much, much, much more important than just trying to get their their stats and you know scoring thirty goals or whatever. Right. I would much rather see Tim Stutzel develop a better two-way game than hit the hundred-point mark. I I completely agree with you. Yeah, and so I guess that kind of leads us, you know, nicely into the topic that uh, um, really I, I, I thought was a good idea to just get you on and, and discuss a little more because you you had put out just a question kind of on uh, on Twitter yesterday or or X I guess it's called and uh, um, you know kind of mentioned uh, an interesting debate that I do think there is you know a, a fun way to break down kind of and and basically the the two sides of it were what do you feel as a fan is more important for this team should they you know, is the fifth overall pick, which is in the position where they would be uh, picking right around now, is having a pick in that top five more important or is making a run towards the playoffs, finishing, say, I think the number you used was four four points out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which one of those two is more important? And uh, I, I definitely have some opinions on it, but I'd love to hear, you know, what, what do you think has been the feedback from that? And what is your opinion on it as well? Like, did, do you lean one way or the other more aggressively? I, I'm definitely leaning towards a playoff push. And let me get it clear. A top five pick would be fantastic, whether it's going to be Macklin Celebrini, Cole Iserman. There's there's a lot of guys that could go in that top five that would absolutely help this team now and down the road. 
But I think that developing developing a winning culture is the most important thing for this team right now. It's undeniable that they have the talent. You look at all the projections and everything in the preseason, everybody had Ottawa either in the playoffs or the next team in. Um, this On paper, this team is more, more than talented enough to make a playoff spot. What they need is to develop a winning culture. Under DJ Smith, they did not know how to win. They knew how to be a hard team to play against. They knew how to be a pain in your butt. Um, and now they just, they didn't know how to win. They didn't know what it takes. Right. And so for the last few years, we have seen a bit of a push towards the playoffs at the end. I believe last year they finished six points out with 86. Um, and this year, if they can do that again, I think that that's the best thing for them. Your side of the argument was that they already did this. Right. And it's, it, they've proved that it, it wasn't valuable at all. My kind of argument back at that, which kind of started this whole discussion about me coming on the podcast talk but too much to say on twitter for sure um but i would rather see them push towards the playoffs and under jacques martin a coach that does know how to win and a team that does know how to win right so they're not just oh we're out we might as well just all offense who cares about defending anymore we're not just going to outscore our problems jacques martin and i will quote dayton reimer who i do the senators roundtable podcast with um, I'd love to take credit for this quote, but I can't. Um, he said that under Jacques Martin, this team is learning how to be coached. And I think that that was the most brilliant thing I've heard anybody say of this whole, um, should they try and win? How are things under Jacques Martin? I think that that's the smartest thing anybody has said is that they're learning how to be coached. Tim Stutzel, uh, Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, Ridley Gregg. These guys don't know how to be coached in the NHL unless it's DJ Smith, who it's not a hot take to say was not a great coach. Um, so I think that they're learning how to be coached uh, and getting kind of put up on the tee for the next coach to come in, whether it's going to be Claude Julien, whether it's um, John Gruden, I don't know who it's going to be, but whenever the next coach comes in, they're going to be ready to be coached and know what it takes to kind of take that next step. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree with that at all, which is, you know, kind of where I, I think, you know, I, I made a comment about, you know, obviously in discussions, it's hard to have nuance when you're on something like Twitter, right? And yeah. and and I, I agree that I think that's why I'm kind of leaning. It, it doesn't need to be either or, in my opinion. And my thought on it is, if the fifth overall pick means that you're purposely putting out a roster that you know you want to lose and affects the core in terms of losing, that's not something that you should be doing, you know. And like I, I just we're clearly over the days where they need to be going all in on a tank or anything like that. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think basically everyone would agree with that. Um, my kind of standpoint is I've seen people throw around like Chris Tanev's name and, and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong. Chris Tanev is a great player and I think would be a good fit on this team. But the idea that they would be trading for him midseason, I know it was pushed back a little on that. Maybe it'd be an off season kind of thing, but like yeah. th to me, the biggest thing with the discussion of should they try to push for a playoff spot or should they look for the draft pick is I believe if you're pushing for a playoff spot, you're probably looking to either keep your team the same as is, or even improve on it. And that, and the, they just cannot be spending more assets on this team right now is the biggest yeah. thing. I, I like the Jacob chicken trade last year, still defend that, you know, in a vacuum, especially I thought that move was brilliant. I, I think the moves around it, you can maybe question a little more on, you know, kind of how they surrounded the team, but that's a separate thing. The chicken thing itself made sense. You're, you're trading for a young guy 
who fits your core's age, who has two and a half years of team control. Totally, totally makes sense, right? I don't think you can go and do the same thing this year in hopes of, you know, obviously I I shouldn't say that like you can't do it by any means. If there's a 24-year-old stud defenseman out there, yeah, of course you're going to move your first round pick for that. But if it's just a a temporary stopgap to try and get through the playoffs, that is the one thing this team I think definitely needs to avoid. And then the bigger question becomes, what do you do with a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko specifically? Because he's the one big UFA. And to me, again, that's where it comes back to the draft pick thing of, if you want to try and re-sign him and think you can get him at a reasonable contract for two or three years, I can see the value behind keeping him. That being said, I, I do think that I've loved what Tarasenko's brought. I think he's brought exactly what you people should have expected this offseason. Like he's not obviously prime Tarasenko, but he's still a very, very solid player. But if you are expecting to move off of him and use his money in a different way this offseason, I think you have to move off of him at the trade deadline, try and recoup some of those assets that you've been bleeding for a couple of years and still go yeah. with the approach that this team needs to learn how to win. Uh, it just doesn't maybe have to be with this exact group of guys, if that makes sense. No, I agree. And I think somebody like Vlad Tarasenko, uh, I'm on, I'm on the side that he should stick around. I think um, if Ottawa can keep him around again at a reasonable price, I'm not saying give him three years, 7 million, 7.5 million. If you can keep him under six and a quarter, I think you should keep him for two or three years. But you're right. Like you got to kind of choose a path at this point. And with Vlad Tarasenko, I think that there's a few guys I would try and move ahead of him. We've talked a lot on the other podcast that I do about um, whether you're going to trade Thomas Shabbat or Jacob Chikrin. Oh, I think one of them's got to go. And I think a lot of people are in agreement that Shabbat makes more sense to try and deal. Um, Josh Norris, he's is he's somebody you look to move. I mean, I, there's no rumors or anything about that, but eight million dollars, and he had he scored no goals in the month of January. That's like that's not enough. Um, so there's there's a lot of guys that you can move. I think the surrounding pieces like Vlad Tarasenko are the pieces you should try and keep, and you should try and make a splash with the core. Like look at what Winnipeg did last off season. Try and pull off a Dubois kind of trade. Now you're not going to get the same value for Norris as you did Dubois, but the framework around that trade, or even if you want to spin it towards Shabbat, um, the framework around that trade, you get a middle six defensive winger in Alex Iafalo. You're not going to get Gabe Velarde. It's I, when the trade happened, I said that Gabe Velarde and what the Winnipeg Jets got the best player in the trade. Um, but you're going to get a young up and coming guy like Arthur Kaliev, maybe if you're talking to LA, uh, in, in a couple picks, right? So you can, you're just getting some more balance around the lineup rather than, all these $8 million guys. And that's what this team needs. They need another, they need more of that depth, right? Because you look at Dominic Kubelik, he's not done anything. He scored nine goals. He's got as much as Alex Ovechkin, but uh, like, he's just not doing anything on the ice. And you look at even the bottom six, like Mark Castle, like Rourke Chartier, these guys just don't do anything. Rourke Chartier has been fine in the role he's in, but he's nothing special. You'd, you'd like to upgrade that if you can. So there's just so many pieces in this roster that the depth needs to be improved. And there's enough surplus in the top end that you can kind of make one of those moves. So I think Vlad Tarasenko would be closer, more down the list than some of the core guys. Yeah, and I I had uh, Nate on from Silver 7 last week, and we were kind of talking about a a similar thing of look at what Vancouver or Winnipeg did. And, you know, the the point he made, which was a really good one, is the goaltending in both those teams is much, much stronger than Ottawa's. And Obviously, again, that's a bit of a separate conversation because they're in a pretty tough spot on what you do there. But in terms of the actual core roster, I agree. I think 
both Shabbat and Norris are probably off-season things that you have to look at. And, yeah. you know, my biggest concern with trading them this off-season is it does feel like you'd be trading them at your lowest possible value. Thomas Shabbat specifically, I should say. I, I think I still see a world where Thomas Shabbat, when he's playing more isolated minutes, which I think he is starting yeah. to do, I still think there is a world where you can, even if you don't see him particularly in your future plans, build his yeah. value up to where someone else sees them in their in their future plans, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas Josh Norris is an interesting case. I think, I, I didn't mind the contract when it was signed, but I think there was maybe not quite as much of an acknowledgement from Sense fans as a whole, including myself, of just how much risk there might have been from a primary yeah. shooter in Josh Norris. And, and that is kind of coming through because as you mentioned, like, He's not scoring goals, and that is the thing he's paid to do. And yeah, his 200-foot game can improve here and there, but like, he's a shooter. If he's not shooting the puck and shooting the puck efficiently, it's going to be really, really hard to get almost $8 million of value out of him. So he's definitely a name where I think you probably, in the offseason, need to take a serious look at, see if there's any offers coming in, because I agree that shifting the core up, I I don't think you need to blow it up. This idea that you need to blow it up, start a rebuild, I'm not with that. I agree that there's a good core in place here and they're showing it. and they show it every year at different times. It just hasn't been any consistency. Right. But yeah. I do think they would benefit, as you said, from maybe one less $8 million player and dispersing that. So you don't have multiple guys on your fourth line on pace for like seven total points over the full season. Yeah. Well, and the, the problem with Josh Norris is that when he was acquired from San Jose, the thought was that he was going to be a third-line two-way center, right? And that's great. That's Everybody was pretty happy with that. It was a little bit underwhelming as he was the centerpiece, but ended up with Tim Stutzel. And if you get if Josh Norris ended up as Shane Pinto, but you still got um, Tim Stutzel out of that, you're more than happy with the deal. So uh, if you go back on Twitter, I'm sure that I was very excited and happy for the team and Josh Norris about the signing, but... I, I was pretty skeptical because I'm like, this guy's supposed to be a two-way 55, 60-point guy. And yeah, he had a 35-goal season. That was fantastic. He's done it once, right? And he's already like climbing climbing in the age. He's not he's not old by any means, but he's not like 21 and still developing and whatever. He kind of is what he is now. Um, obviously, this cold month that he just had is not who he is. But um, if he can be a 25-goal and... 55 60 point guy with good two-way game i'm all for that but at eight million dollars it's just you can't have that in your lineup that's more of a six six and a half million dollar guy yeah absolutely especially when you're already paying a bunch of other guys at high money right like if if you have and and they do have a couple really good looking contracts especially with tim stutzlat which I, i think is going to look i think it already looks like a steal but even more so as he just keeps to get getting better and better but Yeah, like you have guys like Claude Giroux is very fairly paid, maybe even slightly underpaid, but he he's another guy that's up above six million, right? And Thomas Shabbat and now Jake Sanderson and Brady Kachuk. And I don't think any one of those players are overpaid per se, but yeah. they all just start adding up very quickly. And yeah. you need those guys to start being when you have that many eight million ish dollar players, you need to start seeing them not be adequately paid, but almost underpaid or undervalued. Yeah. In terms of their contract, to, to have that depth that you can uh, you you want to to see, right? And that's the biggest thing. And um, the interesting thing with Josh Norris too is, so they paid him after the you know, like he, he gets his contract. He has that thirty five goal season. That's great. 
has just brutal luck with injuries all last year, has that shoulder injury, so kind of hard to judge. This year he's shooting 12%, and that obviously is going to go a long way into lesser goal totals. What I'm really curious to see is where his shooting percentage kind of ends up balancing out. Because in his season, the shortened season where he scored 17 uh, over 56 games, which I believe is over a 25-goal pace, he shot 17.7%. His 35-goal season was 20.3, which regardless of where he ends, that is high. No one shoots 20% uh, on a routine basis, right? Yeah. And then last year, it was 13%, but again, in eight games, so you can't really take that in. And, and then almost on 100 shots this year, it's been down to 12. So 12 isn't that far from the league average, I would say. Maybe for good shooters like Norris, it might be slightly higher. But my biggest concern definitely for him is – do we ever see that 35 goal season again, unless, you know, he catches the the high end of his variance, which it's always good to have. But if you're going to be a 20 to 25 goal guy, usually, and not a 30 to 35, you just need to have the value elsewhere. And I'm not seeing that with him right now. Yeah. I, I don't think he ever hits 35 again. I'll be honest. Um, I think he hits 30, maybe two or three more times. Uh, but I think he's just going to round out as that 25 goal guy. And um, everybody was, so excited and 25 goal guys they're you got to be happy with them because they're hard they're not easy to come by right um but he is the contract is too much right and that's just all what it comes down to is yes you'd love to have him on your roster and you have four tops top nine centers in stutzel norris greg and pinto you're not gonna have one of them on the fourth line i was on the I was on team wing for Josh Norris. I think that he should have been moved to the wing and you keep the top six as it was and have Shane Pinto on the third line. I don't, I don't know what the future holds for Josh Norris, but I don't know. There's a big decision to make somewhere. Yeah. I also thought I wanted to see one of Pinto or Norris on the wing. And I thought Norris's skill set, if you want him to focus on being more of a shoot first kind of guy would have, fit really well on the wing and yeah. let someone like Ridley Gregg, who's been honestly one of their best, if not their best defensive center this year, as weird as it sounds, let him kind of keep developing in that role. And, you know, the other night we saw Greg move to the the fourth line left wing. And I didn't really agree with that choice, but we'll see if it sticks, you know, you got to throw some stuff together and just kind of see what happens. And, and Greg had a couple tough games in there as well. Like, uh, the, the one thing I think Greg needs to cut out of his game is some of the stupid penalties that he he takes. Like it's just, and and I think that might come as well. But there's a couple where it's like, man, you just you're not helping yourself out here. But yeah, I think with Norris, and that's kind of what I want to see as this year goes on. Is I think as important as winning or the draft pick is. What's more important is just seeing these guys play the right way, evaluating yeah. where you can get these guys in your lineup and who is going to be a part of your future. So playing a guy like Josh Norris on the wing for 20 games and seeing what he looks like. And if you decide that's not for you, boosting, putting him in a position to boost his value where you can make that kind of uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade this summer or, or the Bo Horvat trade for the, the Vancouver sake to the Islanders, right? Where yeah. you get a, a good pick back and a prospect of some kind. Like I think to me, that is the most important thing for the next couple months here for this team, because they just have to go on an inhuman run basically to make playoffs, but they should still, I I agree with the original discussion point of it needs to be about how do you build on this for next year? And that doesn't mean just what points do we get, you know, like it's gotta be the, the 200 foot overall kind of mindset. 
Yeah, I, and I I mean, you can't disagree with that at all. You want to see the better defending out of the defense. Like, I'd like to see Jacob Bernard Docker play a bit better. I'd like to see Jacob Chikram play a bit better in the defensive zone. Um, Thomas Shabbat just kind of balances game a little bit. He has great games, then he has poor games. He doesn't have any decent games. Um, just need all these guys, need to see where they're at. And with the whole new regime in there, you got um, Dave Poulan, Steve Steos, and Michael Ann that are kind of running the show now. They don't know these guys, right? They're getting a really good sense of who they are this year, but they don't know these guys. This They're not connected to these guys. They don't care about Tim Stutzel. At, like, what? Uh, sorry, that didn't come out right. They don't have those personal ties to Tim Stutzel. They didn't draft him. They didn't sign him that contract. Same with Jake Sanderson or Brady Kachuk. Like, these top guys, they're not going anywhere, but you got to see what you have there. And the kind of next tier down with Shabbat and Batherson and Norris and whoever else you want to throw in there, it's not their guys, right? This team has absolutely none of their guys. And we've seen Steos talk about how he wants to get get pros. And Chris Tanov's name is the only one that's really popped up so far. Um, I wonder if Scott Lawton is in there as well. But he wants pros and he just hasn't done anything yet. And I'm sure he will. He just kind of needs to gauge the market. But he, he needs to spend as much time as he possibly can getting to know who his team is. Because he like you look at Josh Norris this year, if that's kind of all that Steos thinks Josh Norris is, then that's not very valuable, right? Because Josh Norris, this year at least, is a $5 million player at the most. Um, and so, is he going to try and move out of that deal? I don't know. But he's evaluating based on what he has and what he's seen. He doesn't have those connections to these guys that Pierre Dorian would have had. Yeah, there's there's no prior commitment because you're, they weren't the ones who drafted it. Is is a really, yeah, yeah I, I think that's... A, that's a, that's a really good point of, and that's the kind of the nice thing about this off season um, is that you get a fresh look, you get a fresh view. And if it doesn't work, you're not going to have a management group that goes, well, I need to stick with these guys because my job's on the line if I don't. Right. Yeah. And um, also I apologize to anyone listening. I realized my microphone wasn't plugged in properly for half this podcast. So hopefully it's not too big of a difference, but um yeah, I think when we, we talk about shifting to the future, one guy I do want to talk about because uh, last time I recorded, he had not played a game yet, and that is Shane Pinto. Uh, I'd love to give your thoughts on Shane Pinto. I've personally been pretty impressed in the limited sample I've seen from him. Obviously, as expected, it's it's taking a little bit of time to gel maybe with some of the guys and just get back up to speed. But what has been your early impressions on Shane Pinto so far? I think that he's been fantastic and he's exactly what this team needed down the middle. He had so much more depth to this team. Like you now the third line um, based on how they played most of the game last night, it was Ridley, Greg, Shane Pinto and Vladimir Tarasenko as the third line. Like that's absolutely insane. That adds so much depth to this team. And then you look at if he's not in the lineup, then the third line is going to be Kubalik, Greg Tarasenko. Like that's such a downgrade from adding Pinto in there. And I mean, his production has been there. He has been one of the like hardest working guys on the ice. And he said after the he said after the game last night that he that he and the team are ready for a break. And then he kind of laughed and said, "I've had a long enough break, actually." Um, but he he's had all this time to recharge, and he came into the NHL seamlessly, right after a forty one game suspension. Which say what you want about it, it happened. It's over. Um, no more argument about it. Whatever. But he just kind of sucked it up. He dealt with it and he came back as good as he left the ice last season. And last season as a rookie he scored 20 goals. He's already got two and I believe it's four games that he's been back and the senators um, have been doing really well with him in the lineup. So 
I think they're really happy to have him back and really lucky. And I think that they should try and do an extension with him before it starts costing too much. I think right now is a great time to do an extension with Shane Pinto, whether it's going to be um, five years at three and a half million or seven years at, I don't know. I, d- I wouldn't go over four with him right now just yet, but somewhere in that two and a half to $4 million range, depending on the term. Yeah, if you're getting him at seven years, I'd be comfortable with them doing like $5 million. Uh, there'd obviously be risk with that, but Pinto is the type of player where I know they were talking about a multi-year extension even coming off of uh, yeah. uh, that suspension. And yeah, like I think he is the type of player where you don't want to, he almost reminds me, obviously not the same player, but almost reminds me of Jean-Gabriel Pajot kind of yeah. guy where you don't want to pay him obviously top of the market, but he's yeah. such a useful player to just be a Swiss army knife up and down your roster. And if you can get that, as you said, for like under four and a half million dollars for multiple seasons, yeah. oh, that is going to be a very good value contract. It's just when you get up yeah. to the, yeah, you, you obviously can't be giving him another guy making $6 million or, or anything like that, right? But um, yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. He's got uh, two goals, two assists for four points and six games played already. Um, and it's just the, the work ethic has looked great, as you said. And uh, again, the suspension is what it is. It was uh, a dumb thing, unfortunately, It's uh, but he's handled it as good as I think you could handle it ap- since it happening. And that continues to show on the ice as well, where, you know, you can tell even that goal he scored to win the game against Detroit last night. He bust his butt to get up the ice. He yeah. said in his post game that, you know, he saw he had a lane on, I think he just called it the guy, which that guy ended up being Alex Dabrinkit, uh, yeah. which I'm sure felt pretty sweet. Absolutely just out-muscled him right to the net and got his stick down for a great feed by Shabbat and just put yeah. it in the net and finished the game. It's like that is the kind of play that not everyone might have the heads up awareness to make or just the ability to make where you actually use your body, use your frame out-muscle a guy that you know you can out-muscle and, and score, yeah. obviously, a massive goal that ends up winning them the game. Yeah, and I, you you referred to um, a comparison as Jean-Gabriel Paggio. That's a great comparison. I I think of Mike Fisher when I think of kind of how he's developing. But again, they're pretty well the same player. A really solid third-line center who can jump up to the second line if need be. Um, but if you're getting Paggio or Mike Fisher out of a 30-second overall pick, you got to be really happy with that. Um and like you look at the way that Jean Gabriel Pajot went out, he w- wanted five and a half million. Ottawa ended up getting Ridley Gregg out of it, right? And so it's just a it's a cycle that keeps on going, right? And like looking at the trade trees and how valuable these players really are to the organization is so much fun. Um, but if if Shane Pinto can stick around long term, I'm absolutely here for it. Um, and I think the team should be as well. Yeah, I agree. I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, you know, like a a medium term kind of extension in that three to four year range at, you know, probably three to four million dollars, I would assume like a a four by three and a half or something like that. Three by three and a half, maybe. Um, It's hard to say, because I do think, you know, I think Pinto obviously wants to prove that, you know, he he is a guy that can be a, a core part of the team. Uh, he does have a 20 goal season under his belt, which is going to, you know, help him in the negotiation table, but he also only had 15 assists last year. And I don't necessarily pin that all on him. He wasn't always playing yeah. with the best line mates, let's say, um, or, yeah. or when he was, it was like, yeah, he looks a little overcast right now, but um, yeah, the, the whole suspension thing I think is probably unfortunately going to work against him in terms of making money in the short term. But if you're the team and if you're Pinto, I think you can look at it as 
there's a good way to help this team by being on a value contract for a couple of years. And, and, and it doesn't need to be this long seven year deal or anything. If it's, it's three years or whatever, then yeah. after those three years, that'll be your time to get paid, whether it's with Ottawa or with another team and, and you can kind of bet on yourself. So um, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with Shane Pinto, but I, I've been really encouraged by what he's brought so far. And, and I'm hoping the Jake Sanderson injury that occurred last night isn't too serious because the other nice thing that has happened over the last week or two is this is the first time in two seasons, really, we've actually seen yeah. what this team is meant to be fully healthy. And injuries happen all the time in the NHL. You can't just assume every core player is going to stay healthy all year yeah. long. But it was really nice to see the first couple games that the entire team was together just so happened to be some of the best games they've played, not just this year, but in six years, basically. Uh, I have a question for you. Do you know how many games in the NHL the Ottawa Senators have had Tim Stutzel, Josh Norris, and Shane Pinto for? It would have to be... Well, so Norris only played eight games last year. Yeah. And Pinto obviously missed all of this year. So they probably would have played six together this year. It's got to be like under 25, I would assume. 31. Yeah, Yeah, like... 31 games together as your top three centers. And it's been what, three, four years since the last Shane Pinto would have been the last one to make his NHL debut. Um, now the tail end of the season, whatever, but four seasons. Cause he missed one with uh shoulder injury. He only played five games that year. I think he played seven at the end of his first official season. Just looking at now, 12 at the end of the first season, five, 82 yeah. and six. Yeah. So he like, he's got to get some consistency under his belt. He's only had one season that he's played more than 12 games. So Let's let's see how it goes. And over four years, that's big. I mean, I know the 12 was at the end of the year and nothing you can do about that. But um, they just got to get some consistency. And their record in those 31 games is 29 and two with all three of their top centers in the uh, in the roster. So just consistency with this team. You hit it like nail, nail, what? Nail on the head. I don't even nail on the head. That's wow. What a what a (laughs) blank I had there. Yeah. yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And this, this team needs consistency, and that's something that they've never had since they made the Eastern Conference final game, double overtime of Game 7. They just, ever since then, there's been no sense of consistency throughout any part of this organization. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that kind of ties back to why the depth is so important and, and why, you know, either identifying who the good depth players can be for cheap, because good teams do do that. You know, we talk about yeah. Vancouver. Sam Lafferty's making like no money on there and it's on pace for like 25 goals or something absurd yeah. like that. And, and it, obviously that's not going to continue all year, but finding, yeah. you know, even we laugh at Toronto all the time, but like Michael Bunting was a great find for them, you know, yeah. and, and then that those kind of teams seem to pick players out. So you either need to do that or you need to have enough money where you can invest properly in a range of depth guys so that yeah. when someone like Shane Pinto or Josh Norris inevitably gets hurt because it's hockey and people get hurt, you're not then suddenly playing a guy who's way over his head on your second line and playing a non-NHL player on your fourth line. Because that has been the biggest issue, I think. Not the biggest issue, but a issue definitely for this team over the past couple of years is that the team looks very solid on paper. You're like, yep, lines one through three look unreal. But then as soon as even one piece goes down, it's like, oh, okay, now we're putting a lot of sandpaper on on this kind of roster. And that's why I, I really do hope that with this extended kind of front office that they're building here, the pro side of the scouting department gets a big boost and they start 
actually investing in the proper depth players and, you know, like not giving guys like Zach McHugh in a three-year contract and and not signing Travis Hamannick to a full no-move clause in his, you know, like after you've seen him for a year and a half. Just it's little yeah. stuff like that that no individual move is going to kill you. But when you make five or six of them, it adds up very quickly. Right. I mean, just go have a look at Cap Friendly and look at the dead caps that they have. Matt Murray, Michael Delzato, Colin White, which was a premature. Colin White and Josh Norris, I think, are a very similar comparison for just things not going as expected. Um, Dion Phaneuf was on there for a while. Like, just all these guys in the dead cap. Pierre Dorian just did not know how to manage the salary cap. He knew how to draft guys. He knew how to get, how to sign his RFAs to pretty decent deals. UFAs and trading just not his alley i mean it's hard to discredit pierre dorian's trading when he got the tim stutzel and eric carlson trade but it was boomer bust with pierre dorian on trading that's for sure yeah it's like it's terrible yeah and yeah like i i always thought and again i hope this is something that kind of changes with the new regime that the biggest problem i had with the old regime was they just fell in love with their own guys way too quickly yeah. and as a fan, that's totally okay. You know, like you and I can sit here and be like, they should keep basically every player on this roster. We love them. Yeah. We're not being paid millions of dollars to make that decision, yeah. you know? And, and yeah. so that, that was always my problem is like, it's like, okay, well, if every fan can see that like Andrew Hammond and Mike Condon came out of nowhere, had a great couple of months, and you probably yeah. should see more than just four months of play from them before you sign them to three-year deals. Yeah. Why is the pro scouting team not doing that? And, and you know, there's yeah. just there feels like a ton of kind of past situations where that happened. And again, I, I have confidence that that will change. But uh, for the team and where they are now, it needs to change sooner rather than later because, you know, you kind of alluded to it with Josh Norris. But this entire core is not quite as young as people think. They're not old. No, no one's saying they're old. But players peak in the NHL still a lot sooner than I think people realize. Like everyone has in their head 28, 29. It's a lot closer to 24, 25, maybe 26, you know, 26, that kind of range. And a lot of this core is starting to creep towards that age. So you need to start making your moves now. And and no one's saying you can't win after 26 or anything, but this is the time the team needs to be competing for the playoffs. So again, like this off season just becomes so critical to figure out what direction they're going in and how they actually take that next step from young, exciting team with a bunch of pieces that don't seem to gel perfectly to this team's actually really good. And they're going to be knocking off one of the Atlantic teams for a playoff spot. Yeah. There, there's just a lot of steps to take and I don't know what to do. Like seeing Thomas Shabbat's birthday just a couple of days ago, it was his 27th birthday. That blows my mind. I was thinking like he's 25, maybe turning 26 at like turning 27. That's, that's a big deal in the NHL. You're kind of past that point of you're a young guy, give him another chance, whatever. Like you are, what you are at this point, right? Like you see, you see like players like Frank Vetrano who started this year really hot and you see Carter Verhage come out of nowhere. But like, for the most part, if you've been in the NHL for the last seven years, you are what you are, right? It's 2024. Thomas Chabot was drafted nine years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like he has over 400 games played. Yeah. By midway through next year, he will be at five... 500 games played in this league. Yeah. Like, yeah. And again, there's, there's not necessarily anything wrong with who Shabbat is. He's a very good defenseman yeah. that, you know, almost every team in the league would love to have on their team, but you just got to figure out where that fits in and, and how much longer he's going to be that because yeah. 
the sad reality of a cap world is even for players you love, and I, I love Thomas Shabbat. Like even now, yeah. I defend him probably more than most. But yeah. if you are taking the approach of we want to obviously be good next year, but like we really see our core being three to four years, do you see Thomas Shabbat being a 30, 31 year old who's really contributing to that? And if the answer is no, which maybe it's not, but if the answer is no, you have to move on and and make a tough decision to move out a guy who's been a fan favorite who through some tough years and make that change now and get ahead of it because you can't be stuck for the bill when it happens. You know, it's just not going to be a good way to compete. So it's, yeah, it's tough. They they have a lot of interesting decisions and, you know, we talk about the roster a lot, but at the end of the day, the biggest thing is going to be where do they find goaltending from? I I don't know. And I I, I don't think think it's an easy answer. I think Corpusalo has it. I, I don't hate the deal that was given to him. Maybe a bit long. I would have done three or four years. I don't hate the deal that was given to him, if I'm going to be honest. And yeah, he's looked really bad to start the year. But this last his last seven, eight, nine, ten games that he's played, he's looked really, really good. And he stole the Ottawa Senators a couple of games. And you have to give him credit what credit's due. Is yeah. he going to keep it up? I don't know. I so. think he could still be a decent tandem option for the team. And I, I just can't, I can't see them running back Forsberg and Corpus Allo next yeah. year. Um, you know, I, I didn't like the deal when it was signed. I, I yeah. just Corpus Allo seems like a really nice guy. So I, I don't like nothing against him personally, but I think his results have maybe been a little infl- overrated. I will say in the NHL where yeah. uh, a large part of his career, he got the benefit of the doubt because Columbus was a pretty bad team. And so it's like, well, what do you want him to do? He's on Columbus. And it's like, well, yeah. He might be part of the reason they're not a great team. But regardless of that, I did think when they brought him in, you know, I didn't love the contract, but I did say, okay, like he is an NHL caliber goalie and he has been way worse than I ever would have thought he'd be this year. So I definitely agree where I would be pretty surprised if he's this bad for the entirety of his contract, but you need to figure out who's going to be a guy that we can bring in for not a lot of money is the tough part, right? Like you need to find a guy that you can take a shot on bring in yeah. to play 38 to 40 games, take some of that load off Corpus Allo, let them go back and forth. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to expect Mad Sogard to be that guy. And, and you know, he yeah. struggled pretty early in this, or early in his tenure here, I, I'll say this year. Um, but you need to, and again, much easier said than done, I understand, but you need to find your Connor Ingram, who's playing lights out for the Arizona Coyotes right now. Or, you know, you, you need to try and capture some magic magic in a bottle with, you know, Cam Talbot's come crashing down to earth. But the, the yeah. way he started, or Phoenix Copley last year, you know. But again, yeah. part of that, and this is the tough part about being a, a general manager, is you need to know where to go try and find something like that, but also know when you need to cut the experiment off. Yeah. No, but, I like that. I like that. Um, anything else you wanted to hit on with this team? You know, like, is there obviously the all-star breaks coming up here? So yeah. it's going to be pretty quiet, I think, which is, you know, not a bad thing. Again, it'll be a good to have a bit of a bit of a refresher, I think, for this team. But is there anything just going forward into the year that you're, you know, we haven't talked about that you're really keeping an eye on? I think just the trade market, see how this team defines themselves. Like, are they going to try and make a pitch at Chris Tanev? Or, like, is Claude Giroux going to call him and say, hey, listen, we suck right now, but we're on the way up. Sign a two-year extension with me, and let's just play this out. Hey, things are going to be better. Is that what's going to happen? Is Ottawa going to sell some pieces? I think if they're making any trade, there's two locks to be put in a trade, and that's Eric Brandstrom and Dominic Kubelik. You have to include them in any trade that you're making for any roster player. 
simply money wise, right? Like you're bringing in anybody making over three and a half, four million. Those two have to be part of the deal. Um, unless you're moving one of those core pieces, like we talked about. That's what I'd like to see, um, whether it's going to be one of the core pieces or Branstrom and Kubalik, who I, I, I quite like Branstrom. He just doesn't have a place on this team right now. And then you still have your three-headed monster on the left side and Tyler Clevin waiting for his spot. So Branstrom is very expendable right now, and Ottawa has better places to spend $2 million. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one for sure, too. I think Kubalik, like, I don't know what you're going to get for him, but... Nothing. A six. Yeah, I know. So, so that's the point where it's like, I don't feel passionately one where I'd be fine with them moving him. And, you know, you open a roster spot for yeah. someone like Igor Sokolov or, or whoever you feel in the AHL is, is yeah. making a dent, you know, and that doesn't have to be Sokolov specifically, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, Brentstrom's an, another interesting name where I, I, I totally agree where I don't really see his place. I, I think he's a fine player. I think he's a very, very good third pair defenseman. I don't yeah. think he's much more than that. There's no issue with that. That's a valuable player to have, but as he said, they have three left defensemen who are all very good that they're playing on the right side. They also have Tyler Clevin that, you know, I would yeah. assume they probably want to get a couple more looks at by the end of this year. Yeah. I wonder what Eric Branstrom's value is because he is a guy who is clearly a good player, but he's an undersized defenseman who probably is underrated around the league, if I'm being honest. So it'll be curious to see what, if they make a move like that, what it kind of is. And then obviously the other name I think is, is Tarasenko. That'll really define who they think they are um, yeah. as we've already kind of spoken about, but yeah, like the, the Claude Giroux rumors, I just can't see it, man. I, I just, no. I really can't see it. Like it's, it's not happening. No, like maybe if, if they're, and God, like I really hope this is not the case, but if they're in the same place that they are right now next year, yes, I would absolutely understand. If right. Claude Giroux was about to be a UFA, I can absolutely yeah. understand. He's got a year and a half left on his contract. And even yeah. despite how bad the team has been, everything that you hear is basically everything that you hear is Claude Giroux loves it. You know, and honestly, everything. Claude Giroux yeah. loves it here. His family loves it here. He enjoys being this close to yeah. home. He's enjoying his time here. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I, I cannot see them trading him. And same, same kind of goes with Chickern. Like I just, I don't see them making a move to trade Chickern this deadline. If they reevaluate this summer, or again, they're in a similar spot next year and he still doesn't have a contract. Yep. Then probably those kind of moves yep. make more sense, but I just, I'd be so surprised if they make kind of that big of a move at the deadline, just because all of them feel like summer decisions to make when everyone has a little bit more cap space to play with. Yeah, and like we're talking about these guys, how we should like the Ottawa Senators should start thinking of selling these guys maybe next year. We're seven years away from the last playoff season. We did a huge rebuild, spent all the draft picks to to get these guys, and now like is the window starting to close, and they haven't even come close to making the playoffs. Like I don't understand. I think they need a retool, or they need to start winning now. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think it's pretty clear that this roster isn't quite as good as the previous management group hoped that they would get to. Um, I just, I don't think that's a hot take in any, I mean, they finished like bottom seven in points six years in a row, right? Like, but yeah, as we've kind of talked about, I don't think they need to blow it up or anything like that, but they do need to kind of evaluate what is the goal here? Because if the window is just make playoffs and kind of hope for the best, that's obviously still very clearly open. But if the window is, we want to build a competitive team that actually contends for, or is one of the top eight teams for a cup contention every year. That is a much harder goal, still achievable in my mind, but yeah. 
you, you there's just again some very big decisions that need to be made and and I would be shocked if you know that isn't the goal. I, I'd just be shocked by that. And and because you know, I, I feel like it probably is the goal of the management team. I just don't really see how all like nine or ten core players, whoever you want to group into the core, I don't yeah. see how all of them return over the next year or two, if that is truly what they want to build towards. Sounds like we're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I guess it's just down the road that uh, we, they've been saying that for about eight off seasons now, and yeah. it continues to happen. But um, the core four can't stay together. They can't stay together. They keep yeah. doing it, and they're taking their steps. So yeah. I don't know. But but even with Toronto, like at least that team right away was like a hundred point team and constantly right. making the playoffs. Whereas that that's the tough thing with Ottawa, where. Like you can tell, and there is value for just a team like Toronto, but e- even someone like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of another good, good example, Winnipeg, for example, at West, like one of the big thing, I thought they should have rebuilt heading into this, this off season. And, yeah. you know, I'm looking, you know, it looks like a good decision that they didn't, but to them, I, I genuinely think to their ownership, making the yeah. playoffs every two out of every three years and going into the second round is yeah. more valuable than rebuilding and taking the chance you might build a cup contender, right? There is obviously right. value to being a playoff team every year and looking like a good team. Sells tickets, gate revenue, all that good stuff. Yeah. But it's about figuring out, A, where your goals are, and B, if you need to take that next step, exactly how you do it. And and that's obviously yeah. the massive question for Ottawa this offseason. Yeah. Well, and if you, like, if you look at the rebuild comparison between the Leafs and the Senators, let's say, let's say this year is comparative to... I mean, there's it's so hard to com- line up perfect years, but let's say set the 2017-18 season for the Leafs. They had Patrick Marlowe. This is the year before they got John Tavares, which you could compare signing John Tavares and Claude Giroux. That's a pretty fair comparison. Um, so you have um Matthews, Marner, Nylander all on the show. They're all already developed and they're they're doing their thing, right? You have Morgan Riley, who you can compare to Thomas Shabbat. They've been around for a while. But you look at the 17-18 Leafs, they had Patrick Marlowe. They had Tyler Bozak, Nazem Kadri, James Van Riemsdyk, right? Like, they, they still had all these veterans that know how to play in the NHL. This team, I mean, and now, this year, they have they do have Kubli, who has a couple years in um, and has been around. But you got Tarasenko, you got Jacob Chikrin, who's been around. You got these guys. This year, they're finally starting to get those vets to help develop the young guys into a true hockey team that Toronto just kind of had the whole time. They didn't sell absolutely everything. Right, they sold a lot, and they like Zach Hyman was on the team, Connor Brown was on the team, Jake Gardner, who I mean, say what you will, but he he played a lot of hockey. Right, they had a lot of guys that have been around. They had those pros that Steve Steos is looking for now, and that's the biggest mistake that Pierre Dorian made. He, whether you want to say it's um, Jean Gabriel Pajot, whether you want to say it's um, Mark Stone would be great if th- that trade didn't happen, but. A guy like that, it doesn't have to be to Mark Stone's caliber, but if the number one right winger on the team could have stuck around, that's that's the kind of guy that Ottawa needs still in this lineup, right? Yeah, for sure. And or even if they could have went and acquired them after, you know, words, and they did try with a guy like Evgeny Dadnov that obviously did not work out in just <laughs> hilariously bad fashion. But yeah, um, yeah like you, you kind of need to to find that not even depth of the the lineup, but kind of depth of the lineup now that your young guys are taking the step because as you yeah. said like Toronto was a and I mean obviously they don't have any postseason success to show it but 
Right. The idea behind how they did it was very smart in terms of when Matthews, Marner, and Nylander came into the year, the league that first year, there was times where, especially like Marner was on the fourth line and playing yeah. on that fourth line. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you're, you're getting shown that if you're not playing the right way, you, you're going to get sent down there. But also for most of the season, Austin Matthews was the two C or even the three C behind a guy like Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak. And then yeah. obviously in that second season, even by the end of the first, it's like, okay, yeah, training wheels are coming off. This guy's shown he's yeah. ready. He's going to start moving up the lineup, but yeah, you still had that depth in a guy like Nazem Kadri to yeah. play on your second line. So yeah, it, it's about finding kind of those guys. And I think Ottawa's core is getting to the age where they, they maybe don't need those specific players, but it, it's about finding the complementary pieces, as you mentioned, around them yeah. to, it shouldn't need to be Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, Brady Kachuk, Claude Giroux scoring every single night. There should be some yeah. games where your fourth line chips in a goal and, you know, plays just perfectly defensively and doesn't give much up. And that's the reason you win 3-2 and not lose 2-1 or whatever, right? And yeah. the, the team just hasn't gotten that near often enough. And and that is one of the biggest things I, I hope that they they address heading into this this offseason. Yeah, I agree. You just need one or two good depth guys. That's that's it. Like, if you add, and I, again, I'll go right back to that Winnipeg trade with Dubois. If you add Alex Ayafalo and Rasmus Kupari to this team, who... Kupari has struggled for sure, but I would much rather Kupari than Kastelik in this lineup right now. Um, if you add Ayafalo and um, uh, Kupari to this lineup, they're so much better than they are right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just finding those, you know, kind of responsible middle six, bottom six kind of guys. Like it's, yeah, uh, yeah like it, that. that's exactly what they need to go out and identify and and yeah, like Kupari only has one one assist in twenty one games, but I have follow ones especially. And you know, there are players like that that you can find. You know, and some projects aren't going to work out. Like I, I totally yeah. understand that, but others absolutely will. You know, like you look at even what the Habs are doing with Sean Monahan this year, and yeah. and his underlying numbers maybe aren't as great as what his point totals are, but he's clearly yeah. being put in a position to succeed. And it's like, well, yeah, like if a team like the Habs that are clearly trying to rebuild can find a guy like that. You should also be able to go and identify some talent to help a team that wants to win right now. Yeah. And Ottawa hasn't acquired anybody during the rebuild to help them out. Like during those rebuilding years, they just sold everybody that wasn't nailed down. Like they didn't acquire anybody to help them. Obviously in the big trades, they got the prospects and the young guys and the picks, but they didn't trade for anybody that's going to help them long-term. Like Montreal did with Sean Monaghan. Sure. They're trading him now, but he's one of those guys that during that rebuild, they acquired him and he's there to help them. Right. Uh, Ottawa just took on roster players. Right. And that's because Eugene Melnick wouldn't spend. That's, uh, that's as far as it goes really. Yeah. And, and like, and the thing with the Monaghan trade for Montreal is the reason it was so great is they got a first to take him on and they're now asking for a first to flip him somewhere else. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, that is exactly what you should be doing instead of going and spending a third round pick on brain Coburg or whatever. Like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, yeah like I, we don't need to rehash yeah. everything, but, but yeah, it's just the, the way they approached it definitely was not ideal. And, and again, like it's new regime, new ownership, new money to spend. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what that kind of looks like and how they change things going forward. Because the, the other thing, I guess, and we can maybe wrap it up here, but I think the important thing to remember too, is just because you have a, a, a new owner who's willing to spend, they don't need to be going and spending three, $4 million on a, a singular depth player or anything. Yeah. It's got to be a balance of finding the right guys, but also not overpaying for those guys. And having a little bit of breathing room with your salary cap, which Ottawa does not have. So, Yeah. 
For sure. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Jacob. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and, and all your work? Yeah, so I mean, I do some writing at thehockeywriters.com. I do the Senators Roundtable podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at, at JacobBilling10. Um, and just I'm always open to have a chat about anything. Obviously, that's how things started here. We just having a chat on Twitter, and here I am talking about it now and spent an hour talking about it instead of 37 different tweets. So went a lot better than it probably would have on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining. I'll have to have you on uh, again down the road because uh, as always, there's just absolutely no shortage of things to talk about. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks to Jacob for joining me. I think that's uh, another good discussion heading into the All-Star break and uh, definitely one that I think is more upbeat maybe is, is the right way to say than uh, a couple of the past ones, but uh, still obviously a lot of work to do with this team and it'll be interesting to see you know, what the next few months really have in store for the Ottawa Senators. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening, and uh, I hope you all enjoy the All-Star break and the bye week that comes after. Enjoy a couple weeks here uh, recharging uh, without any Ottawa Senators hockey to watch. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff, uh, and Last Word on Sends. Uh, you can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com, and you can also find my other podcast, the MNM Hockey Podcast, uh, wherever you were listening to this one, I did that with my uh, good friend Chase McCallum, and we uh, deep dive a lot of the stuff in the NHL. Uh, we will have a new episode coming out this weekend uh, on the massive Lindholm and Kuzmenko trade, as well as the you know World Junior uh, Team Canada charges that have been pressed. Um, so, if anyone, and as well as the All Star Game, you know, just a, a large topic of everything that's happening. So. If uh, anyone wants to listen uh, to that, you can find that wherever you're listening to this at MNM Hockey Podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time.